Lord Jesus, we call upon your name this morning. The name that is above every other name. The name that is strong and powerful, yet tender and kind. We call upon Jesus this morning. We celebrate the triumphs and we receive peace in our time of need. God, we thank you that you are Lord over all creation. God, you see it all, you know it all, and you love it all. And God, we thank you that you hold us in the palm of your hands this morning. You you hold us close to your heart. You pave a way into a right relationship with you. And God, we just give you so much praise and honor this morning for that. And God, for those that feel a little bit distant this morning, God, I pray that they might know and feel your presence this morning. They might be reminded again of your grace and your goodness. Lord God, we're so thankful and we're so expectant for what you want to speak to us this morning. We love you so much. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, please grab a seat. Good morning. It's great to be with you this morning. Good morning, kids. Oh, they're not listening. It's great to have our kids in the service. And if their kids are a bit noisy and distracting you, it's just God's way of like sharpening your concentration skills. Just take it as a blessing. Um, don't turn and look and say, oh, whose kids are they? It's great that they're in church. It's great that we've got so many kids. It's great that, I don't know if, you, if you've noticed this, but last term, um, our older kids, grade three to six, have been taking over the hall during the Sunday morning service because there's no room um, in the inn for the little kids. Maybe they're so big, Jonah, if you were... No, it's okay. We love you. Um, it's a great problem to have that we've got kids and that it's noisy. It's probably my kids that are making the most noise and I apologise for that. Uh, and like Brock said, next week, just for the term two, we're going to trial a new format for our SVC kids where they start um, and go out from the start of the service all the way through to the end of the service. And then in the middle of the term, we're going to have a, what we're going to call an all-in service. Uh, and we're still working out what that might be. But all the kids will be in. Uh, we're going to try to encourage all those from Yarram and Locksport who don't normally come into sale to come in that Sunday as well on the fourth week of May and have a bit of a celebration all together. Uh, so that'll be a great Sunday to be a part of. So let us know, parents, how it goes for you, um, having the kids out the whole service and... We'll appreciate your feedback. All right, what else? If you've got Connect cards and you've filled them in, give them to Brock. No, you can pan them into the coffee machine if you missed the, um, if you missed the buckets. Uh, fill in the Connect cards anytime during the service, and if the offering buckets have already passed, you can always just hand them into the, the coffee team after the service, and I'll gladly take them and pass them to where they need to get to. Well, this morning we are in a new series... I say that often, but I won't say that as often, because we're going to start a new series in the book of John, and this is week one of many weeks. I haven't put a number on how many weeks it is, but just strap in, because it will be many weeks. 21 chapters in John, and each chapter will take a week or two, or three or four, depending on how long the chapter is, and... We're going to break it up into, we're going to, I think we've called this, yeah, the book of John, season one. You know, so you've got TV series and they break them up into seasons. That's sort of how we're doing it. 
Um, so season one, then we'll have maybe a little interlude and we'll look at something else for a couple of weeks and then we'll get back to it and we'll finish by Christmas 2025 or 6. <clears throat> we'll finally get through John. So um, if you haven't read the book of John recently, now's a great time to read it. Um, read it through a couple of times, read it through in a few different versions, uh, get well acquainted with it. Uh, it's a beautiful gospel and we're going to uh, see that over the next year or two. I want to start by reading uh, close to the end of the book of John, in John chapter 20, and we'll come back to this verse, obviously, when we get to John 20, when my hairs are greyer. Um, John chapter 20, verse 30 to 31. And this gives us a bit of a purpose statement for the book of John, of why the apostle John wrote this book um, and what he hopes that we might get from it. It says this, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in his book, but these, the ones he has written, the signs that he has written about, are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Very simple and sort of to the point that John is very clear and upfront of this is why I wrote these words, is that you might believe in Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So there was no doubt in John's time when he wrote this, and when he wrote this, um, everyone debates about everything when it comes to Bible stuff, but probably in the late first century sometime, uh, there was no doubt that Jesus was a man. No one really doubted that he was a, a human, that he existed, and that he was a, a good teacher. What people doubted was that he was actually God. And so, but John writing this book is saying... Jesus was a man, yes, but let's look at the signs. Let's look at his, uh, that he is the Son of God. He is the Messiah. It's one thing to say he's a good teacher. It's one thing to say he was a good man, a good example. But these things are not enough to be saved, John says. These things are not enough. You need to believe that he is the Son of God, the Messiah. Echoing uh, what Paul writes in Romans 10 verse 9, it says, If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved you will be saved. And so we're going to see so much more about Jesus than just those points that he's the Son of God and the Messiah. And if you think, oh gosh, Brad, two years of you just saying he's God and the Messiah, I might get a little bit bored of that. Um, there's plenty more in there, uh, but if the crux of John was boiled down to something, it's that, that he is the Son of God, he's the Messiah. And he writes this gospel so that to help people see who Jesus really was and who Jesus is. It's an evangelistic gospel. It's intended to help people who aren't in faith come into faith. That people would come to a saving knowledge of Jesus. And so if you aren't a believer and you've thought about Jesus, you're exploring church and who he is, whether you should put your trust in him or not, Read the book of John. Maybe listen to me preach on it as well, if you, if you can put up with me. If you know someone who's interested, point them to the Gospel of John. Say, have you thought about reading this? See what you think. You know, we believe uh, as Christians that God's Word is powerful, it's active, it's living. Hebrews tells us that. And that it has the power to cut between bone and marrow, it says to penetrate the deepest parts of our heart. And I think sometimes as Christians, we are a little bit hesitant to push the Bible in front of people because we think, oh, they won't get it. 
they'll read it wrong, they'll misunderstand. We misunderstand it and we still read it. God is uh, sovereign through his spirit to enable people to understand and grasp who Jesus is if they'll open his word. So can I encourage you to, to push people to, encourage people to read John or better yet, read it with them. Consider doing that. Uh, if you've got someone who you thought, oh, maybe I should invite this person to church, invite them when we're doing this, the Gospel of John because it's evangelistic in its nature and it'll be great for them to hear. So we're going to look at the first five verses of John this morning, just five. I know, we're really in for a long ride if we go this slow. John chapter 1, verses 1 to 5 and this will sort of set us up for uh, what's to come. It says this, In the beginning was the Word... And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him, all things were made. Without Him, nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Lord God, we are thankful for Your Word, and we're thankful for for this Gospel of John, and we pray that we might hear Your voice through it, we might understand the word that it is and the life that it is and the light that it is. And you might help us to follow it, be transformed by it. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm anticipating when I get older that I'm going to become an avid bird watcher. I'm not yet, but I have an interest in it. I've, I've talked to Mr. Winterbottom, Jack Winterbottom, who's um, one of our regulars here, and he's an avid bird watcher. Welcome back, Jack. Great to see you. Nice tan. Jack's been away for the last nine years. No, nine, six months. <laughs> Feels like a long time. Um, but I just love, and I've got our boys into, into looking at birds occasionally and we'll always take photos of birds and then I've got a little app on my phone and we'll try to work out what kind of bird it is and um, if it's a magpie or, you know, we're very basic, magpie or a crow or a peacock at the park, uh, you know, things like that. But I love when you're driving along, maybe towards Bairnsdale or towards the beach, and you see the eagles just, like, hovering over the fields, uh, and they're just obviously looking for, for their lunch or their dinner, um, or just having... I don't actually know what they're doing, but I imagine that's what they're doing, or just having a fly. Maybe there's, you know, having a Sunday fly. I don't know if eagles do that. Um, I mention this because... the. The Gospel of John has been portrayed in, um, through the ages, through the times, as, as an eagle. So each Gospel has sort of had their own character or animal assigned to them. And if you go, th- if you're ever lucky enough to go to Europe um, and go through some of these old buildings and churches, you'll see the stained glass windows. And, um, and sometimes, I think this one that I've got up here is uh, one, I think it was Belgium, a cathedral in Belgium. And so... Uh, the Gospel of John is portrayed as an eagle, uh, whereas others are, I think as a lamb and an angel and something else. Uh, and the idea of it being an eagle, some have thought, is because it's, because it goes to lofty heights, or it's able to travel into the sun, to look at the sun, um, and it's way different in nature than the first three Gospels. And we'll see that even just from the beginning of this Gospel, that Matthew, Mark and Luke all begin with sort of just like Jesus on earth. This is Jesus being born or this is John the Baptist and then Jesus was born after that. 
Um, whereas John starts his account with a remarkably different tone. There's a sense that there's a, a grandeur and an intimacy that John has that contrasts again Matthew, against Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, if you read the Gospels, uh, there's four of them that we, we call Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. If you read the first three, you'll notice that there's really, there's heaps of stories. There's heaps of miracles, uh, and some of them are just like five verses long, and then it'll go to the next one, and then it'll go to the next one, and then it'll go to the next one. When you read through the book of John, what, what you'll notice, or hopefully you'll notice, is that the stories are big and long, and the conversations that Jesus have are big and long. And there's not many of them, but they're, it's like John's sort of zooming in on different parts of Jesus' story for a purpose. And he's not telling all of them. In fact, right at the end of John 21, John says something like, if I were to write all the things that Jesus did, there would not be enough books in the world to contain what he's done. And partly that's because John writes so much. He's like one of these wordy people that just, you know, some people tell a story and they just go on and on and on and on. It's like, well, there's detail in that detail. It's like, that's not relevant. They're all relevant in John's case, but it, you know, he's a, he's a storyteller. Um, so John picks a few select signs and interactions with Jesus, but in greater detail and length to uncover the fullness of Jesus. And so we're looking at John 1 to 5, and the first 18 verses is sort of the beginning, the introduction, and we'll look at the second half of it next week. Um, but the introduction is this um, chiatic sort of structure of... It's, it's, it happens a lot in Hebrews um, and this, and this uh, case in John as well. So we're looking at the first five, and you can take a photo of that or have a look at that later and see how those passages sort of line up and then we'll look next week at 12 and 13. That's sort of the climax or that's sort of the, where it all hinges on. And so we'll look at the rest of that next week. But today, we get a mini one right in the first two verses. And, and that's this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and God was the Word. The Word was in the beginning with God. I think if you read it in the NIV translation, it's sort of that's how it's... And in the, the Greek, that's how it's um, laid out. And it's beautiful, isn't it? It's just like, oh, I've never seen that before. There you go. Change your life. All right, so let's look at these first two verses. John 1, 1 to 2. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Straight away, in the beginning. Who's heard that phrase before in the Bible? Yeah, it's one of our first memory verses we taught the kids, and that comes from Genesis 1, 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So, for the original hearers of this gospel, John straight away when they read John's word, they're like, whoa, who does John think he is? What does he think he is writing? What is this all about? It's, John is setting this up as like, this is on the same level of importance as the Torah, as the creation account, as the Bible and the scriptures that we have. I'm putting this in the same category, right from the start. It'd be like if I got up here and I started my sermon with, I have a dream. Straight away, you'd be like, oh, it's a bit, I don't know if you can say that, Brad. I don't know if that's appropriate. I don't know, if you, I don't know where you're going, but it's better be good. Or you better be, go, like, that's sort of how jarring John's opening statement was in the beginning.
And I love it because in the beginning, what happened? God created. He created the heavens and the earth. He created the land and the seas, the, the, the light and the dark and everything. And he gets to the end and he creates humankind. And in John 1, he tells us, or in John's Gospel, in the beginning, this is about the recreation of man. This is the recreation of humankind. And think ahead to John chapter 3, if you know your Bible well. John chapter 3, there's a story of Nicodemus, and in that story we get the idea, this phrase, born again, recreated, made new. And this is the story, John is saying, of humans being made again, this recreation story of God becoming man in order to save and make new humankind. So in the beginning, God, uh, in the beginning was the Word. This word, Word, um, you might have heard people say this, Logos before, this uh, Greek word, Logos, and different translations, but ultimately we could say it's, it's the reason for life, is how the philosophers and the people of the time would have heard this word, Logos. Um, I don't know if you've ever used the wrong object or the right object for the wrong purpose, the wrong object for the wrong purpose. I want you to imagine if you walked into someone's house one day um, and to prop open their door they had a coffee machine, like a brand new one. Coffee machine's never been used before as a doorstop. Part of you would be like, geez, that's strange. Like, these people don't drink coffee, obviously. They don't know what this is. And that is... They're cheaper doorstops <laughs> than a coffee machine. Like, there is a better way to do that. And then that could be put to use. Um, or, again, imagine that you want to... Oh, I shouldn't say that because kids in they'll get bad ideas. I was going to say something about a toaster and... No. Using toasters for their wrong, exam, for their wrong purpose can be dangerous. And so the idea of the Logos being our reason for life is if we, get the, if we get the wrong reason for life, if we have the wrong object, the wrong person, the wrong idea as our reason for life, it is, uh, it's, it's like you're not reaching your full potential and it's dangerous, it has, it has bad consequences and if you don't understand the function or the purpose, it's missing out on its full potential. And so the Greeks were constantly asking this question, what is the logos, what is the purpose, what is the reason for life? And John comes along and gives the answer... And in fact, he says Jesus is the reason for life and he's not a reason for life, he is the reason for life. Later on in John 14, he is the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. He is the reason for life. Not one of many, but one of one. There is only one Logos. There is only one purpose. It's not, as our culture would say, it's not your truth and my truth and Whatever's good for you is good for you, and whatever's good for me is good for me. John doesn't let you get away with that idea. He says there is only one reason for life. There is only one answer. And this rubs our culture the wrong way. Our culture really doesn't like to hear that message. Because it's harsh, it's obnoxious, it's certain, it's rude. But either Jesus is the way, or he's no way at all. He's either the way, the truth, the life, or he is no way at all. He doesn't give you that in-between option. So John says he was the Word and he was 
with God and was God. So I want you to sort of make a mental picture of this. You've got this word that was something and with that thing at the same time. It's, it's this um, beginning of this um, un, uncovering of the Trinity, of, of John saying there's, Jesus is, he is God, but he's also not God. Uh, and again, through, um, I've got a few conundrums here, I'll put those in, because this is a bit of a conundrum or a paradox, or a, depends what word you use. Here you go. This is a bit, bit of fun to make sure you're listening. Two people want to cross a river. The only way to get across is with a boat they find on one side, but that boat can only take one person at a time. The boat cannot return on its own, and there are no ropes to haul it back, yet both persons managed to cross using the boat. How did they do it? Just what I thought. Esther. They pushed the boat back. Oh, clever. That's not my answer, but... No, they were on opposite sides of the river to start with. Oh. And so, throughout John, we're getting this, like, he's making us use our brains. He's making us use our heads to think in a way that it's, it's hard to think like. That something is something and with something at the same time. And throughout John, we're invited into this realm of thinking that, about God that is sort of mind-bending and puzzling. That God is not just one, although he is one, he's also three. It's like this one plus one plus one equals one. Again, kids, don't pay attention to that. If you go tell your teacher that, they'll correct you and put you back a year level. One plus one plus one equals one. This is the, the, the craziness of the Trinity. Um, and there's echoes of, of um, Proverbs and Psalms, you can look into all this if you like, about the Word and the breath of God. And, and even back in the beginning in Creations 1, you've got, in the beginning was God and, and the, what was hovering over the waters, the Spirit was hovering um, and then God spoke and the, the Word comes out of His mouth. And so you think of someone's Word coming from them. You, if you speak some words, they, they're you, but they're also distinct from you. And this is the image that John's playing with, is that the breath, the spirit, and the word coming out of the Father, there's all three of them, all at once, um, and they are all God, yet they are all separate. And verse 3, through him all things were made, without him nothing was made. So not only is Jesus um, eternal, so John gives us this idea that in the beginning, right back at creation, Jesus is there, the word is there, he's eternal, but he's also essential to everything that is and ever has been. Colossians 1 puts it like this. This is some of my favourite verses in the Bible. It says in verse 15 and 16, He is the image of the invisible God, Jesus, the firstborn over all creation. For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rules or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is central to creation. He is the Logos. He is the reason for life. Everything finds its origin and purpose in Jesus. Everything finds its origin and purpose in Jesus. Now, 
In verse 4 and 5, he says, In him was the life, and life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And we'll come back to this idea of light and life throughout the gospel. These themes that John is setting up in these first 18 verses are sort of like, you're going to see them time and time again throughout the gospel. But for now, let's just note that for John, light and life are the same. They're sort of this darkness is symbolic of the absence of not just light, but life. And so when we see the story of Nicodemus that I've already alluded to in um, chapter 3, when does Nicodemus come and approach Jesus? In the night, in the middle of the night, in darkness. And it's not just by accident. This is John's design. He wants us to see that salvation is only through the person of Jesus. And as you travel through this book, I want you to see the, inva- the evangelistic intent of John and be challenged by it. This book is like a diamond that if, as you stare at it again and again, you are captivated by its beauty and you see different facets of it. But even when you see the diamond for the first time, it's captivating. And so, again, can I encourage you, can I invite you to think about showing this gospel to someone who's not saved, inviting someone along who's not saved, getting them to stare somewhat, have a glimpse at this diamond and see it. And for us, as we look at it again and again and again, it's captivating. Each angle gives a deeper understanding and appreciation. It's great to see for the first time and the hundredth time. And so, as we, again, as we go through this series, it's going to be challenging for us if we want it to be. In some senses, it it won't be challenging because you'll sit back and you'll go, oh, that's interesting, I haven't thought of that or I haven't seen that before or that's good that I'm armed with that little bit of Bible knowledge now. So what I want to challenge you with is at the end of each message is there's got to be a so what question. There's got to be some sort of application to what we're talking about because um, the danger is that we'll feel better about ourselves as Christians because we know more about the Bible than God. But this is not John's intent, nor is it God's. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 8, verses 1 to 3, he says, Now about food sacrificed to idols, we all know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone thinks he knows anything, he does not yet know it as he ought to know it. But if anyone loves God, he is known by him. Thinking ahead to John chapter 21, we get to the end and there's a story of um, Jesus asking Peter, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? And Jesus and Peter says, yes, yes, yes. And then Jesus says, feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Our faith doesn't grow through knowledge, but through action. I hope that there'll be an element of discipleship through this series, that you'll be discipled through this preaching series. And I want to give you the two basic principles of discipleship that I think they are. Our Western Christianity is so focused on knowledge that it's easy just to get stuck there. But that's only one half of discipleship, is that we understand and then with what we understand, we obey. And so these, these are great questions to ask your kids if you want to disciple your kids. What are you learning about God? 
as you read a bit of the Bible together, what have you learnt? Then the next question is, that's not it, that's not the end, that's half. The second half is, what will you do? What will you do? What's, what are you going to put into action? What are you going to do with what you just learnt? Because it's easy to do the learning part. It's easy to sit around in a small group and go, oh, look at that. Let's understand this. Look how, look how smart we are. Look how good of Christians we are. We know Greek. We know Hebrew. We know how to read all this stuff. And, and that's great. But that's, we want to be known by our love. We want to be known by our action, by feeding the sheep, by doing the things that we're called to do. We need to be able to take the truth and then embrace it for our life. So what is it that we're learning this morning? And what will we do? I want to ask you this question as we think about action. What is the voice you listen to for meaning and purpose in your life? What is your logos? The world offers so many voices that promise to alleviate struggle, promise to answer questions, political voices that promise if we reallocate or reorganise or restructure, it will sort out the world and there will be equity and happiness for all. Other voices that cut to the core of us saying that if we'll, if we'll pr- focus on renewal and we'll go to therapy and get more education, something in us will be put right and we'll be happy. But none of these come close to the word, to the Logos that is spoken about in John, to Jesus himself. So what part of your life is not currently centred around Jesus? What part of your life is not currently centred around Jesus? What part of your life are you missing for its intended purpose? Maybe it's a relationship, or your job, or your family time. What is it that Jesus desires in that area of your life? He is the Logos. Everything, all things were created by him, through him, and for him. He is the purpose for everything in your life. Not just an hour on a Sunday morning, not just for a few minutes here and there during the week as you do some Christian activities. He is the purpose for everything in your life. And so the team's going to come and we're going to sing a couple more songs. And if there's an area of your life that the Holy Spirit is speaking to you about right now that you know you need to surrender and say, I haven't been using this for God's purpose, I've been using it for my own. I would love to pray with you and get in that position of surrender with you. Say, God, we surrender afresh. This area, show us what it means to use this for your purpose, to live in this area for your purpose. So can we stand together? I'm going to pray. Lord God, we are so thankful for your goodness in our life and for your grace in our life. And God, we pray that as we learn more about you and who you are and what you're speaking to us about through this gospel, Lord, that we wouldn't just be people that get puffed up with knowledge, but we would be people that are quick to hear and obey what you're calling us to. We would have childlike faith and say, Lord, we hear it and we're doing it. God, our desire is is like yours, that that other people that don't yet know you would hear about you and come to a saving knowledge, a saving faith in you. And God, we pray that as people see our life and our life is centered around Jesus, 
as people see that our reason for life is you, God, that they will be drawn into that. And so, God, this morning, if there's an area of our life that is not surrendered to you, that is not centred around you, God, would you show us what that is and would you help us to take a step of faith and obedience in surrendering it to you and showing us what it means to live with our life fully centred around you. Lord God, we love you so much and we're in awe of the great God that you are. We worship you this morning in Jesus' name. Amen.